Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to a prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in change. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Well, happy Mother's Day to all of you who have been blessed to uh, be parents and uh, know the joy as well as the challenges of uh, having kids. And I'm certainly blessed to uh, have my mom read scripture today for our opening text. And uh, certainly I'm grateful for a godly mom, uh, a woman who taught me how to live and love like Jesus. And I'm glad the technology has allowed her to be with us today. I'm also excited to wrap up this uh, 101 series. And uh, we want to look just one last time at the final words that Paul offers in Colossians 3 and 4. I hope over the past several weeks, uh, there's several things that might have happened. First of all, I hope you've gained a clear understanding of the gospel, um, the supremacy of Jesus. I also hope that you've been challenged to find your identity only in Jesus. And last week, Brian Gower kind of helped us make a pivot toward these theological ideas that Paul opens up the letter with to more practical terms of like, how do we live in response to that? I hope the Holy Spirit has helped you get dressed for work every day this week and maybe take off some of the things you were used to wearing. Paul wraps up his letter in chapters three and four by addressing some very specific relationships within our lives and providing a way for us to understand how do we live out this following Jesus in the way we relate to these people. Paul's helping all of us understand that this way of life in Jesus must permeate every aspect of our life, especially the relationships that exist within our home. Now, you need to know that in the ancient world, the home was more than just a domestic dwelling. It actually involved and included moms and dads, husbands and wives and children. It also included other extended family members. It included servants and employees and even this group of people who were maybe kind of like um, political advocates. They just were there and associated with the family. And all this group of people living under one roof depended on each other for their basic needs, but also for their emotional and spiritual support. I think the arena of relationships is one of the best testing grounds to the authenticity of our faith. 
Especially because this following Jesus and living and loving like him should have initial impact into our families and into our relationships. If we have truly experienced the gospel and surrendered to the lordship of Jesus, we should find that our spiritual life is maybe nothing grand or romantic and certainly nothing impossible. But rather, our character is transformed and our relationships are revolutionized. This is foundational to following Jesus. Paul is a people person. That's one of of the reasons I like him so much. And the transforming work of Jesus in his life empowered him to love people deeply, but it also equipped him to challenge you and I how to live these relationships out in a way that displays the lordship of Jesus and serves as a light to unbelievers. No area in our life is outside of the lordship of Jesus. There's no distinction between what's sacred and secular. A life led from above is evident in our marriage, in our parenthood, and even in our everyday work. How you live on Sunday should be really be no different than how you live Monday through Friday and including the other days of the weekend. As you heard from the scripture that my mom read earlier, Paul begins addressing these relationships with the most intimate relationship between wives and husbands. Marriage is the foundation of the family. It doesn't start with the kids. It starts with two people committing themselves in one, making marriage. It was after making man and woman that God said about his creation, it is good, before the kids arrived. Some would say even before they messed it all up, right? But I want you to know today, if you're married today, even without kids, you are a family. What Paul says to wives first in verse 18 is certainly not politically correct or even socially acceptable in our world today. He starts by saying, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Paul says that wives are to willingly subject themselves to the authority of their husbands because this pleases the Lord. It's how God designed the family to work. Now, submission is a call to recognize and respond to the God-ordained authority of the husband. Submission, though, does not diminish the, uh, the value of the woman or, or dismiss her, her dignity, but instead, it Each person, man and woman, are given God-ordained roles and responsibilities. They are both essential and necessary to make marriage and family work. Wives are to honor and affirm their husband's leadership and to help him be effective in his role within the family. Encouragement, affirmation, support, even uh, even trust, they, they go a long way. This isn't a shut up and take it posture that Paul is requiring for women. In fact, it's a response to the lordship of Jesus in her life, which supersedes the authority that he gives to the husband. Nor is it one-sided, because what Paul says next is to the wives, or to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands aren't to treat their wives as subjects, but are called to provide loving kindness and tender care for her entire well-being. It's a call to self-sacrificial love. Bob Russell in his book, Marriage by the Book, describes this relationship, especially from a man's perspective, with a picture, because he knows that men need sometimes pictures to figure this out, right? And so he says that in his cupboard at home, he has a Tupperware cup. It's plastic. He uses it to get a drink of water. He uses it to water the plants or even water the dog. And if he drops it, it takes a licking and keeps on ticking, right? 
But in the corner of the dining room is a china cabinet. And in that cabinet, there are some precious glasses. They're made of, of crystal. And if they are dropped, they'll shatter into a million pieces. And he challenges husbands to not treat their wives like Tupperware cups, but like precious china or fine crystal. The command was very countercultural in the world that Paul was writing because in that day, women were just kind of dismissed. They were not viewed as equal with men. And so Paul writes to husbands telling them to protect and care for their wives because that's how God wants it to be. This command, I think, reminds me just of the earlier statement I made in this Colossians series, where, and I'll still stand by it, saying that I think men have the harder job when it comes to fulfilling the instructions within a marriage than even what women have to do. In fact, just listen what Paul says these instructions look like in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 21. Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he addresses the wives. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husband in everything. And then he addresses husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle, without any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus is the example for wives to submit to their husbands because Jesus submitted himself to his father and gave up his life for the church, which is the example of what submission to God and to his wife looks like on the husband's part. This living and loving like Jesus really does set the course for this relationship between husbands and wives. Next, Paul addresses children and parents. Children are recognized and addressed as, as valuable members within the congregation at Colossae, which is also countercultural because in those days, children were seen even less than women. They were seen just like property, if even recognized. And so Paul addresses children and he says to them in verse 20, children, you two are obey your parents. Now, this is not a new command. It's actually one of the original 10 commandments. Many of you parents have quoted that commandment to your children, honor your father and mother. Paul adds in Ephesians 6, 3, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life. I thought my days were numbered many a time when I found myself disobeying my mom or my dad. You know, obedience is the simple process of hearing, understanding, and responding. Christy and I in our parenting have tried to teach our kids first-time obedience, which just simply means that they respond without whining, arguing, or complaining. They hear the instructions and they follow through. It's not just hearing, but it's doing what you've been told. And while I believe that there is a place in time where children are no longer held accountable to obeying their parents, that's much later than most adolescents would think, there does not have an expiration date on honoring your mother and father. It's something that we should do until they die or until we die, not just one time a year on a special day in May or in June. But again, Paul's instructions are not just one-sided. He now addresses parents. He says, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Paul is warning fathers, and the original word actually includes mothers, that they are not to irritate or provoke their children by harassing or constantly criticizing, placing unreasonable demands. 
demeaning through their words or actions, and certainly any type of physical, emotional, or spiritual abuse. This dishonors God, and it discourages the child. In Ephesians 6, 4, Paul says, don't exasperate your children. And that big word just means don't break the spirit of your children. The sad news is I don't have to explain what this is like to many of you today because you've lived it. Or maybe you're living it now. I'm not talking about just that your parents are old fashioned and have rules that you didn't necessarily agree with. Or maybe that your, your, your dad just had harsh words to you or, or maybe that they couldn't provide for you everything that your friends have or, or had. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about words that cut and, and devalue you. I'm talking about like angry outbursts. I'm talking about inappropriate touches. And many of you know you've been embittered. You've been exasperated because of the hurtful things that your parents have done to you. And I want you to know today, even though you might feel dirty because of that, ashamed, even guilty, that that was not God's plan. That's not how he designed the family to work. And I want you to know that it wasn't your fault. I want you to know that God sees and he heals and he can restore and he can reconcile. I also want you to know, parents, that you and I have a responsibility for the physical, emotional, and spiritual health of our children. And it's hard work. But we're going to be accountable for how well we did our job. Jesus says in Matthew 18, 6, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone tied around their neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. Now, those are harsh words for us parents or really for anybody who's responsible for caring for a child. Fathers and mothers, we should provide firm and loving guidance our children should be as sure as of our love for them as they are our authority over them. Helpful, help, heartfelt affirmation along with loving discipline will help all of us parents help raise our kids in the training and instruction of the Lord. Maybe today you as a parent need to ask God for forgiveness because you've dropped the ball in raising your children to love and know the Lord. Maybe you as a parent need to ask your children for forgiveness for the harmful, hurtful, painful things you have done and caused them so much hurt in their life. Maybe you as a child need to ask God today for forgiveness because you have disobeyed your parents, maybe in the past or maybe right now. And maybe you as a child need to ask and offer your parents forgiveness for the hurt and pain that they have caused you along the way. Here's what I know. Families are messy. And so we as a church want to help you. I just want to offer two resources for you today. The first would be our counseling center. Our counseling center here at Crossroads is trained to help you, whether you might be struggling in your marriage or as a parent or maybe as a child, regardless of how old you might be. I just want to offer our counseling service as a great ministry to you to help you walk through maybe some of the hurts or habits or hangups that keep kind of causing you to be uh, sidelined in your life from, from experiencing life the way that God intended it to be. I love our counseling team and I encourage you to reach out to them. And second of all, I want you to be aware that we're offering a parent seminar, seminar this summer. It'll start in mid-June. It's designed to help all of us as parents to help walk through and better live out God's intentions for our family. And it's not gonna be a, a talking head for an hour and a half. What it's really designed to be is about 10 or 15 minutes of content 
with a lot, about 45 minutes to an hour of table talk where you can sit around the table with parents who are in the same season of life of parenting you may be. Maybe your kids are you know, knee high. Maybe you have kids in elementary or, or middle school, high school. Maybe your kids are leaving for college or have left the nest. Maybe you have a child in your family that has a special need. We're gonna circle up as families in each of those seasons of life to help just understand how we can encourage and support each other and learn from each other. You can find more information about our counseling center, about that seminar this summer at cccgo.com forward slash info. The next relationship that Paul addresses is between slaves and masters. Before I make any parallel or or application to that today, I'm sure many of you might just have some angst about just hearing Paul address slaves and masters. And you may be wondering, why doesn't he just say abolish slavery from the get-go? Why doesn't he just say that that's detestable, that any form of slavery should be not a part of our society? Well, Paul, instead of um, restructuring these societal institutions made by man, he's trying to teach us how to navigate through the society around us because we are followers of Jesus. You see, both the Old Testament and New Testament have instructions uh, for societal institutions that were not God's plan or design. Divorce is one of those as well as slavery. Neither are condoned by God. They're more a result of the hardness that sin brings in our life, where we break our commitments and we devalue people. Paul might have spoken a lot more about slaves and masters in this passage in Colossians because at the same time he was writing to the church, he was also dealing with a situation. And that situation involved a a slave named Onesimus who actually belonged to a guy named Philemon. And Onesimus had stolen from Philemon and he had ran away. And as he encountered Paul, maybe even in prison, he encountered the gospel and it changed his life. And so Paul picks up a a pen and he writes to Colossians, but he also writes to Philemon pleading for Onesimus. And he pleads him to welcome Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. That's culture changing. What Paul is saying is that you two are equal in the family of God. He's no longer your slave, he's your brother. In fact, you could take the things that Paul says in Colossians, like in Colossians 3.11, where he says, there's no slave or free in the body of Christ, or the letter to Philemon to see God's true intent and heart for all people. Paul pleads with Philemon to welcome Onesimus back. And in fact, the letter of Colossians is taken to the church at Colossae by Onesimus and another guy named Tychicus. You can read about them in the last part of chapter four. But I think Paul is making a culture-changing statement by elevating slaves and masters to the same status. Instead of abolishing slavery, a man-made institution, Paul's writing about how to navigate society as followers of Jesus. And he addresses how following Jesus transforms both parties. But I think it is fair to make application of what Paul says here in the second part of chapter three and first part of chapter four to our relationship as employees or employers. As employees, we must obey our supervisors in everything, not just in what they tell us that we like or agree with, not when they give us a job that seems fun, not even just when they're looking, but in everything. We're to work hard, not to impress our boss or even earn rewards, Paul says, but with sincerity of heart and with reverence for the Lord. Following Jesus applies to Monday through Friday, just like it does Sunday and the rest of the weekend. And followers of Jesus 
We must work hard. We must give our best all the time. We must have integrity. We must give more than the minimum effort required. We must provide quality workmanship and do it consistently. You know, the task may seem unimportant or trivial, but the person doing it never is. And in fact, we all have the opportunity with that task to turn the job into an act of worship. That's why Paul says in Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. That last sentence is actually not a statement, it's a command. Serve the Lord Christ. When Jesus is the Lord of our life, that includes our work. He's the boss. We work for him, no matter what we're doing, no matter who's overseeing the work, and even when no one is watching. Christian ethicist and philosopher Norman Giesler says this, if more Christian employees today serve their employers with genuine concern as though they were serving God, quality and productivity would increase dramatically. We here at Crossroads want to constantly remind all of us that our work is sacred, all work is sacred. It doesn't matter if we're teaching students, de delivering uh, through a vehicle, assembling a product, planting a crop, mending a wound, planting a skyscraper, whether we're answering phones, painting a wall, whatever we do, we are all doing it for the Lord. It's why we've created this team on our mobilization team called Missional Living. It's there to help us live out our faith living like Jesus, loving like Jesus, and doing that in tangible ways in the work that we are given to do. Now, Paul has some words to speak to employers as well. In verse, four, verse one of chapter four, he says, be right and fair because you work for the Lord too. As a senior leader in the last two ministry assignments I've had, one as an executive pastor, now as a lead pastor, I continue to tell my teammates around me that we all have the opportunity to submit. I am submissive as the lead pastor to the elders here at Crossroads, and we both work for the same boss. That's Jesus. It doesn't matter whether you are in the corner office or you clean the corner office, you work for the same person, and that's Jesus. The equity between slaves and masters that Paul is speaking of in Christ would have blown the minds of those in the ancient world, but it best reflects the heart of God. And I want you to be aware of this culture-changing moment that's happening as Paul writes to the church at Colossae. He's telling husbands to love their wives, to not treat them as a lesser person, treat them equal in the gospel and in the status of Christ, and also to provide loving care, sacrificial love for them that was against the culture of his time. He's telling parents not to treat children like property and just to dismiss them, but to invest in them, to pour your lives into them, to teach them and train them in the ways of the Lord. Again, countercultural. And then he's saying masters and slaves have the same status in Christ. There is history that shows that the decline of slavery of every form is related to the increase of disciples made around the world. That's the kind of life-changing power that comes when you and I decide that we're not just living for ourselves, friends, but we have surrendered our life to Jesus Christ. And that should change how we live our life, how we love other people, and every relationship that we have. Before closing this study through Colossians, I just want to hit one of these, a couple of these statements that Paul makes as he wraps up this letter. First thing is, in Colossians 4, 2 through 4, he says this, devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. 
Pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. That caught me every time my mom said that in scripture today. Because I know this morning, uh, my dad was downstairs at the house I grew up in praying for me. I know that my mom is praying for me right now. That prayer that I would deliver whatever God's word says in a way that's clear. Gosh, that, that got me every stinking time. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray continually. He continually stresses how important and, and what availability we have to the power that comes through prayer. In the first part of Colossians, he He's praying for the Colossians themselves, asking that they would have full knowledge of the gospel, that they would be completely informed and responsive to the gospel. And now he's asking the Colossians to pray for that message that would continue to go forth, not just in them, but through them. I think we often think that the responsibility for determining who to share the gospel with or what to say or when to say it rests on us. And I see from Paul's words, he's saying, no, it depends on prayer. And so he's begging the Colossians to devote themselves to pray so that the gospel would move forward. I would encourage you to do the same. Pray. Pray that God would give you the words to say. He would create the opportunities and he would give you the courage to seize those moments when they come. They're all around us. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be, be watchful for those opportunities. We've tried to equip you with a strong foundation of what the gospel is all about. That Jesus is supreme, that, that you have identity in Christ and how to experience that so that when your lives start to look different from everybody else around you, people will ask why and you'll know what to say because you're equipped with a foundation of, of what the gospel is all about, who Jesus is and the difference he's making in your life. So be bold, be courageous and do it. This prayer idea is not something that we want to move quickly through, but that's why next week we're starting a, a five to six week series on prayer. It's called Pray Like Jesus. I'd encourage you to make a commitment now to come back next week at nine or 11 and to join us as we learn about prayer, how to live out what Paul's saying, to devote ourselves continually in prayer. Paul says next, Colossians 4, 5, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. This word wise equals godliness. We learned that when we went through Proverbs earlier this year. And I think it best reflects that Colossians 1.10 statement that Paul says, I want you to live lives worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every way. That would be a wise way to live. The way you treat your spouse, the way you parent your children, the way you interact with your boss or the way that you treat your employees, all matters because God is watching, but also so is everybody else. And I sure hope that they notice a difference because you call yourself a Christ follower in the way that you treat all those relationships I just mentioned. The testimony of a changed life is by putting on the character of Jesus, living and loving like him. And when you do, the world notices, they wanna know why. You can then share the good news. This is the strong why or the what for of this mission that we keep talking about, living and loving like Jesus. It's so that the world can see Jesus by him living and loving through you. When Paul says, make the most of every opportunity, his language is like, buy it up, put it to good use, exhaust all possibilities. Be tactful and be bold, I think is what Paul's saying. Finally, Colossians 4, 6. Paul says, let your conversation be always full of grace, 
seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Think a godly walk has to be accompanied by godly talk. Our words to our spouses, our children, our employees, our bosses, they tell the true condition of our heart. That's what Jesus said in Luke 6, 45. A good man brings up the good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings up the evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You know, putting money in a curse jar or maybe trying to say three positive things before you just open up a tongue lashing on your spouse or your child or your boss or employee, none of those things are gonna work because they don't address the heart first. You have to start with the heart, my friends, because that's from which the mouth speaks. When you and I realize that we're sinful, disobedient people, and yet despite that, God has reached out to us by sending Jesus here to die on the cross, to take away the punishment of the sins that we deserve, to cancel the, the payment that we, we were due by, by Jesus' death and resurrection, and to set us apart for living lives that please him. When you and I comprehend that, that Jesus is supreme and we find our true identity in him alone, it changes us from the inside out. And it changes how we live and how we love, how we work, how we talk. You know, the invitation to respond to who Jesus is, to claim him as supreme in your life, to declare that you need his mercy and grace, that invitation is always open. And I pray that today, if you've never responded to making Jesus your savior and, and surrendered your life to him as Lord, I pray that today would be that day. I'd love to meet you right down front and talk to you about how you can take those steps of faith. Or whether you're worshiping online or worshiping here in the room, you can right now just text the word now to 812-858-8668. It lets us know that you're interested in knowing how to do that. That's why we do this. We'd love to help you learn how to do that, and we'd love to walk with you through that. For all of us who've already made that declaration that Jesus is our Savior and Lord, the time to live and love like him, the time to let that identity shine is now, now like never before. And our prayer through this series and through our continued teaching will be that we would equip and empower all of us through the work of the Holy Spirit to live in love just like Jesus. You know, we're wrapping up this series today, but we just wanted to have one more week of, of some ways that you could follow through and maybe some assignments to work on this week. I hope that you've enjoyed the ones. Enjoyed's kind of a, you know, a relative word, but I hope that you'll lean in at least to the assignments that we would challenge you with this week. And the first is read through Colossians one more time. Maybe the first time for some of you, but if you've read it through once already, I'd encourage you to take another 15 minutes, read it one more time, maybe try a different translation this week. The second thing I want you to do, I want you to identify one person that you hope sees Jesus in the way that you live and in the way that you love. You know, it might be the best gift you could give the mother of your children today for you as her husband to quit treating her the way you have maybe all of your married life. Maybe today, moms, the best thing that you could do as a mom is start loving your husband or loving your kids the way Jesus would. Kids, maybe it's time for you to you know, skip the cheap, cheap card at the, at the store and maybe just honor your mom by, by obeying her the first time. That would please God, and I'm sure it would make her life a lot easier. Whether it's your employer or your employees, let let them see Jesus in you. And I, I would just encourage you to find one person, identify one person that you hope sees Jesus in you. Maybe that would shock them tomorrow when they see you for the first time since. I wanna ask you to commit to praying for that person by name 
this entire week, that they would see Jesus living in you. And finally, I'm just going to ask you to commit right now to be here next week um, at 9 or 11 as we start this next series about prayer. Pray that it would change your life. I'm hoping it will change mine. Would you pray with me? God, uh, I don't know who needs to hear these words today. I wish that Colossians, though it can be read in 15 minutes, was easy to follow. Gosh, Lord, it's challenged me every week. Lord, I, I, I know that I want to be a man that lives and loves like your son Jesus. God, I, I want my wife to see Jesus living in me. God, I ask your forgiveness for those times where she's seen a lot more Phil than a lot more Jesus. God, I pray for... Um, my three kids, that they would see Jesus in the way that I live, not because I'm a pastor, but just because I've decided to follow your son, Jesus. And I pray that whether it's at the kitchen table or behind this table or the way I drive my car, the way that I treat the neighbors, Lord, they see something different in me because of who you are to me. God, I'm grateful for a mom and dad who love you, who, who lived a great example for me to follow. And God, I pray that I make you proud. And I also pray that God, I'd make them proud. God, I pray, Lord, that those who have hired me to do this job here at Crossroads would see Jesus in me. They would see that I'm submissive to them, and they see that I'm working hard to move the gospel forward. And God, I pray that those that you've entrusted to me as their leader, God, would see Jesus in me. God, the way that I live, the way that I love, the way that I lead would be reflective of your son, Jesus. God, when I watch the news, when I look around me, this world needs something to live for. There is nothing more worthy, and there's nothing that will make such a difference than living for you. God, my prayer is that this church would be filled with people who've made that decision, not just Sunday morning for a couple hours, but every day. The way that we, our marriage reflects that, the way our parenting reflects that, the way our work reflects that, everything, God, would be all for your glory. And the world would notice, God, not for our glory, but for yours. They'd be drawn to you. I pray that through the powerful name of Jesus, my Savior.